Welcome to a podcast about the genetics of food allergies. My name is Annalise, and today we're going to specifically look at peanut allergies, epigenetics, and new research that has come out regarding the future of food allergies. Did you know that over 2 million school days are missed due to food allergies? And that's only in the U.S. alone. It makes sense in context with another statistic I found interesting. According to the CDC, food allergy prevalence has increased by a staggering rate of more than 50% between 1997 and 2011. So what are food allergies and what's happening in our bodies when food allergies are present? Food allergies occur when the immune system mistakes a substance to be harming the body. So the body thinks that it has to fight it off. It usually does this by releasing an antibody called immunoglobulin E, which causes cells to release chemicals like histamine into the body. You've probably heard of histamine with things like antihistamines, which are associated with getting rid of allergic reactions. Histamines cause allergy symptoms such as hives, rashes, and in the worst case scenarios, anaphylaxis and trouble breathing. Let's talk some more basics. Food allergies are divided into three groups. The most common is the one we were just discussing, an immunoglobulin E, IgE for short, mediated reaction. This is the type of food allergy that is most common and usually results in anaphylaxis. What's happening in the body when there's an IgE-mediated reaction is the IgE binds to mast cells or basophil, two types of immune cells that circulate throughout your body. The second type is a non-IgE-mediated food allergy, which is caused by other cells in the immune system. This is not as common, and a non-IgE-mediated allergy usually takes several hours, compared to a matter of minutes with an IgE reaction. Finally, we have a mixed IgE and non-IgE mediated food allergy, which is characterized by experiencing symptoms from both types of allergies, but is pretty rare. Now, it's important to recognize that these are all different from a food intolerance, which is actually your body having a hard time digesting certain foods. With food intolerances, it takes a larger amount of food to experience symptoms, and they are never life-threatening. Now that we have distinguished those four things, let's talk about why genetics is so prevalent in this phenomenon. At this moment, there are about nine polymorphisms in genes that have been linked to food allergies. After I read about these conditions occurring in several genes, I came across something really interesting. I've had eczema and asthma all my life, but never realized that they both have a strong correlation to severe allergies. In fact, research into eczema and asthma could actually help us learn more about the genetics of food allergies. According to Sano Genetics, most children who have a food allergy also experienced eczema during infancy. Overall, eczema is considered a genetic condition as it runs in families. The recent connection between food allergies and eczema suggests that food allergies may also have a genetic component. In a study by Sarah J. Brown, MD, we learned that, quote, IgE-mediated peanut allergy has strong heritability and is associated with other loss-of-function mutations within the filaggrin gene, which have been linked to allergies like asthma, end quote. It's important to note that the filaggrin gene directly controls the structure of the epidermis and is a key facilitator in the formation of the skin barrier. So this is why a mutation in that gene is associated with a skin condition like eczema. In a different study conducted by Dr. Xiaobin Wang and her colleagues at the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health, almost 3,000 DNA samples were analyzed to search for clues about which genes might contribute to an increased risk of developing food allergies. They were able to locate the genes on chromosome 6 that are linked to peanut allergy. So this study suggests that the HLA-DR and DQ gene region likely poses an increased genetic risk for peanut allergy as it accounted for about 20% of peanut allergy in the study sample. 
With that in mind, let's talk a little bit more about peanut allergies in particular. Peanut allergies are the most common allergy, and I'm sure you know more than one person who has to carry around an EpiPen, avoid peanuts, etc. However, you probably didn't know that about five years ago, researchers were able to pinpoint a new gene that is possibly associated with peanut allergies. It's called C11ORF30-EMCY, so we just call it MC. Dr. Daly, a Tier 2 Canada Research Chair at St. Paul's in the Genetic Epidemiology of Common Complex Disease, created a study where researchers analyzed DNA from 850 individuals with a peanut allergy and nearly 1,000 individuals without a peanut allergy. The team scanned over 7.5 million genetic markers across the DNA through a genome-wide association study, searching for clues as to which genes might contribute to an increased risk of developing food allergies. Using RNA sequencing technology, all the blood samples underwent comprehensive genetic analysis to find out which genes and immune cells were active or changing during the allergic reactions, and thus were the most likely to be driving them. The number one result they found? The EMCY. Interestingly enough, the EMCY gene is already known to play a role in eczema, asthma, and allergic rhinitis. Now, I have to mention that even though we have made a lot of discoveries regarding allergies, there are still so many unknowns, so many of these studies I will be discussing next are extremely recent and still require a lot of follow-up research. Now, you may be wondering if these genetic markers actually play a big role in food allergies, or if it's more what you eat, what you come in contact with, and your environment in general, but it's probably both of these things. There are several things that may affect your chances of having food allergies in particular, such as vitamin D, dietary fat, how you were delivered at birth, and tobacco. Vitamin D plays a part in regulating the immune response, so excess vitamin D may be associated with risk of allergic diseases because of its effects on the Th1 and Th2 cells, which are simply cells that play an important role in immunity. As for dietary fat, unsaturated fatty acids may lead to the production of PGE2, which can inhibit the production of those Th1 cytokines. The next environmental factor is pretty fascinating to me, because I would have never thought that how you were delivered at birth would affect your allergies. But children born by C-section have been reported to be at higher risk of allergies compared to those delivered by vaginal birth. Even before this, prenatal exposures to pollutants and tobacco have proved to be crucial players in the development of allergic predisposition. It's interesting because my mom often said that she ate a lot of nuts and peanuts while she was pregnant with me and wondered if that ever contributed to my peanut and all nuts allergy. In researching this, I actually found a recent study that showed that if mom eats peanuts while pregnant, the child is four times more likely to have a peanut allergy. For example, if the risk was already at 0.5% based on heredity, it would now be 2%. And if mom eats peanuts while breastfeeding, the child is two times more likely to have a peanut allergy. So these are just a couple of examples for you to think about, but I hope you can see that many environmental factors are associated with the development of food allergies. What's really exciting is that treatments are on the way, and scientists every day are finding new ways to think about food allergies and the recent increase in them. Just over a year ago, on January 31st, 2020, the FDA approved the first drug for treatment of peanut allergy. This drug is called Palforzia, and treatment with Palforzia consists of three phases, initial dose escalation, updosing, and maintenance. We won't go into a lot of detail about this, but I would encourage you to research Palforzia. 
it's extremely cutting-edge technology and could become widespread over the next couple of years. Palforzia is a powder that is manufactured from peanuts, so the powder is emptied from the capsules and mixed with a small amount of semi-solid food, such as applesauce, yogurt, or pudding that the patient then consumes. The results showed that 67.2% of Palforzia recipients tolerated a 600 milligram dose of peanut protein in the challenge, compared to a 4% of placebo recipients. It's pretty cool that we at least have something to start with. I would encourage you to research any of the things that you found interesting in my podcast, and even if not, now you know a little bit more about food allergies. Thanks so much for listening.